Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Trulson Law Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. My name is Mary Vandenack. I'm CEO, founding, and managing partner of Vandenack Weaver Trulson LLC. And I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about closely held businesses, tax, trusts, estates, legal technology, law firm leadership, law practice management, and well-being. First, I do want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and The Foster Group. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. There's always a resistance to change, particularly with attorneys. Attorneys like to look back at what's worked in the past, and that makes a lot of sense. But when you realize that with a good automated drafting system, you can do a better job for your clients, deliver documents on a more timely fashion, in a more consistent and in a more costly manner. If you're not a subscriber to Interactive Legal, I urge you to go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. And you'll be contacted about having a demonstration of interactive legal for you, which can be done right over the Internet. Don't have to leave your office. No salesperson will call. We can arrange it at a time inconvenient for you. So please go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. On today's episode, my guest is Laura Sass. Laura is an estate planning attorney in New York City serving high net worth clientele. Today we are going to talk about cryptocurrency and estate planning. You can also hear Laura on previous episodes where she spoke about family limited partnerships, dynasty trusts, and Section 1202 strategies. Welcome back, Laura. Thank you, Mary, for having me. It's always a pleasure to chat with you on the podcast. Well, I really appreciate you joining us. Today, we're going to discuss a really hot topic recently, <laughs> cryptocurrency and estate planning. We could assume that everyone knows what cryptocurrency is, but I'd be really appreciative if you could start with an explanation. Sure. I will try to keep it as simple as possible. So cryptocurrency is a digital asset that is created and traded online using encryption. Miners, who are essentially computer operators, establish new units of digital currency and record them on what is called a blockchain, which is a string of verified public transaction records. Cryptocurrency records are public, but the identity of the holder is private. 
Virtual money is traded on exchanges such as Coinbase, Kraken, and Crypto.com. And a transaction involves the exchange of wallet numbers only, no names. There are two primary ways to own a cryptocurrency account through a wallet on a cryptocurrency exchange, such as the ones that I mentioned, or in your own wallet with an encrypted private key. A hot wallet, as it is called, is connected to the internet and could be vulnerable to online attacks, whereas what is called a cold wallet is typically not connected to the internet and could be a more secure method of storage. There are thousands of types of cryptocurrencies, as you know. The most well-known ones are Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, Dogecoin, and Cardano. Ever increasingly, cryptocurrencies can be used to purchase tangible items. So you may have heard the big news when Elon Musk announced that Tesla's supercharging station will accept Dogecoin as payment. In addition, now PayPal and Venmo allow users to buy and hold cryptocurrency in their digital wallets. And I, I have to mention, and it's been a while now, so I don't even remember what year, but my home state is Nebraska. And this state was one of the first ones that allowed legal fees to be paid with cryptocurrency. Oh, wow. wow. We don't, we actually don't accept that yet, but you know, we're <laughs> like having conversations about whether we should be looking at it. I'm doing the same. So why should cryptocurrency be considered in the estate planning process? So when individuals sit down to discuss their estate plans with us, they typically think of the traditional assets first, such as their home, bank and brokerage accounts, retirement accounts, investments, business interests, etc. But for an increasingly large number of people, digital assets such as cryptocurrencies, as well as NFTs, which are non-fungible tokens, are becoming just as important. Furthermore, unlike traditional assets, there is no physical manifestation of cryptocurrency. So failing to include it as part of your estate plan could be far more detrimental than neglecting to plan for those more traditional assets. And so in the cryptocurrency realm, we have kind of this, you can't really see it, so people don't think about it, but it can have significant value in their estate plans. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. also, if you don't plan for it, one of those assets, let's say it's a small amount. And I always make jokes because a lot of, we have over the years, it's always been people buying oil interests in Texas and it can cost more to get out from under the oil interest in Texas than the assets actually worth. And you can't really avoid the probate, but can you avoid probate with crypto assets held on an exchange? Can you use beneficiary designations, TODs? So crypto exchanges are similar to traditional brokerages in that a custodian holds the account. Unfortunately, right now, most exchanges don't allow for beneficiary designations or even ownership by a trust or business entity, which can make traditional estate planning difficult. Another downside is that if an account does increase significantly in value, which, as you know, can happen really quickly with crypto, as well as the reverse, but only so much can be withdrawn from the exchange on a daily basis, thereby limiting immediate access to the assets. A probate administration, although traditionally undesirable, will hopefully ensure that crypto accounts aren't lost upon the owner's death. So if you own some crypto, 
where is the probate? Is the probate going to be state of residence of the decedent? Where is it considered to be located? So it will be likely state of residence of the decedent and part of their general probate process. And so, which is usually the case for intangible personal property, right? Is that, I know the That's IRS. Exactly right. And so is that how the IRS is classifying crypto as property? Is it being classified as the intangible? I, I'm assuming yes. It is, it is, the IRS considers it property and not currency, actually. Okay. And it's taxed according to those same rules. And so that is going to be, now, can the states vary on this in terms of the probate issue? Or is what the IRS treats it as going to control that? You know, all of this is in so much flux and the laws continue to develop. So I I think, you know, for right now, it's going to be in the state of residency. But as laws change, you know, that may change as well. So pay close attention to the crypto rules, because that's exactly what I think you're exactly right, that it'll be a change a minute. So to the extent that that's the case, then how do heirs access the assets? So for crypto accounts that are not on an exchange, each account is accessible by an encrypted private key. And a key can be as long as 64 digits, and it's unique to every single owner. When an owner signs up or purchases a wallet, he or she will receive a unique key that must be entered in exact order in order to access that wallet. If the key is lost, there is no password reset or court order in the world that could possibly recover the key. So the account and all of its value will be gone forever. I'm sure you've heard about Matthew Mellon, who is heir to the Mellon fortune, who died without passing along his key information on his $1 billion crypto account, or James Howells, who mistakenly threw away a hard drive containing access to over access to over $300 million of Bitcoin and has literally been searching landfills for years to track it down. Of the existing 18.5 million Bitcoin, around 20%, which is a worth of about $140 billion, appears to be lost or otherwise stranded in wallets. So the bottom line for crypto held by the owner alone and not in an exchange is that Loved ones must know, one, that the account exists in the first place, two, where to find it, and three, how to access it via private key. So I was thinking about this, discussing this, and it was this $300 million of missing Bitcoin and how that worked if he ever went through his entire fortune and was subject to a spend down, and would the government somehow have access to that, which I'm not really asking. It was just a thought I was having going well, there's a whole lot of issues with crypto that we're going to see at some point as estate planners. So what? Sure. So one of the things that I was just noting, like when you talk about this private key, so somebody can use the private key after death. So let's say that I go and I have this crypto and I have a wallet, I have my key. So like with passwords, in certain cases, it's actually criminal to use the password after somebody's passed away or is disabled. That's not the case with the key in the crypto world? Yeah, again, welcome to like the funky world of crypto, right? And in this situation with crypto, the key is your only way to access it. And it's fully legal to be able to access it using that as opposed to using a password for more traditional accounts. So it's sort of like if I give 
someone a key to my house and they use it and then they take everything out, that's too bad. Right? That, that's correct. So what estate planning techniques do you recommend to minimize the risks that a valuable crypto, crypto account is lost to theft or death? So there are a number of different measures that I typically recommend to clients, and it, it depends on their preferences and what their objectives are, but I'll summarize some of them. Um, as a first measure, they can consider sharing the account information, including the private key, with a spouse or a trusted family member, advisor, or a friend. It's important to remember, as you said, with the key to the house, that when you select appropriate holders of this information, treat it like cash because access to the key itself is all the person needs to access the account, move the assets, and claim it as their own. For some, it might be better to include this information in a memo locked away in a safe deposit box or other secure location where the trusted family member or friend will know how to access it when the time comes. If your family members or intended beneficiaries are not familiar with the workings of crypto accounts, it's best to provide them with a step-by-step -step guide to access and administer the crypto. As a second measure, I would consider splitting the private key amongst a few different trusted individuals. So perhaps your attorney holds half the key and your accountant holds the other half but an arrangement should be entered into with both as to when and how the information is disseminated upon your death and as to what storage mechanism each can offer. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors. At Foster Group, we know there are more important things than money. There's the joy of providing a lovely home for your family, the excitement of an early retirement, the relief, knowing that an unexpected emergency won't ruin your finances. At Foster Group, we're invested in the things that make life, life, and how to get there. Foster Group, your financial life, truly cared for. Connect with us at fostergrp.com. Foster Group's written disclosure brochure, as set forth in Part 2A of Form ADV, discusses advisory services and fees, is available at www.fostergrp.com. Okay, let's continue our episode. So let me ask you a question before you give the next sure. solution. So once you have the key, can you ever change it? Like if I want to have the locks to my house changed, I can call somebody and have the key changed. Nope. So each wallet has its own unique key. So you can't change the key, but you could always transfer assets to a new wallet with a new key. So if I start, like, let's say that I decided my trusted person was my spouse, and then find out my spouse is cheating on me, I decide to file for a divorce. I can't change the key to the wallet. But what I can do is create a new wallet and transfer the cryptocurrency to the new wallet. That's exactly right. Okay. And so then what's your next thought on solutions? So the third solution is to just sprinkle the key among intended beneficiaries, but keep in mind when the time comes, they need to understand how to decipher it appropriately. So as an example, you can give your spouse digits ABC, your son DEF, and your daughter GHI. Um, but you know, what if one of them loses their key or passes away or is incompetent? A better solution might be to give your spouse ABC and DEF, your son DEF and GHI, and your daughter GHI and ABC. 
So that way, two people are still required to decipher the entire code, but the loss of one will not be fatal to accessing the account. And then the last option I just want to mention is called a dead man switch. So instead of including another person on a transaction, a computer actually acts as the third verifying party. In this situation, a program periodically, believe it or not, sends messages asking if the cryptocurrency user is still alive. If there's no response after a specific number of tries or a certain period of time, then the program will activate a switch automatically and transfer the virtual coins to an intended beneficiary. So if you use this dead man switch, you need to be aware of how often you're going to get these messages. So if you decide to take a long cruise through River Wilds where (laughs) there's no access to the internet and you start getting these messages and then you come back and you find out that all your crypto was transferred to the beneficiary. And you're like, what? I was just out That's of pocket. That's a problem. But, you know, usually we're talking more like an 18-month period or something like that. And you have time built in to respond. So it's usually like, not like two weeks when you're on the river cruise and then, you know, the crypto is gone. I was thinking an 18-month river cruise would be good. But so <laughs> you, have, you have some time. It's not going to be such a short window that it's going to get transferred. And, That's right. And are you in control of that time period when you purchase a program like that? You set that. So you set the parameters of the dead man switch. Okay. So what else on that? So I just wanted to mention that details regarding crypto accounts and keys, as important as it is to give that information to your intended beneficiaries, that information should not be included in the estate planning documents themselves. Because For instance, if they're included in a will, they could be made public now in probate court and anyone can access them. And similarly, if they're included in a trust agreement, they could be revealed to other trust beneficiaries who aren't even the intended recipients of those crypto assets. And finally, I just wanted to say with respect to that is that in addition to including specific language in a revocable trust or will, an individual's power of attorney should authorize their fiduciary agent to access the crypto accounts in the event of the holder's incapacity. So what do you recommend that people discuss specifically with their trust and estate attorney when planning for crypto assets? Ultimately, as part of proper estate planning, an individual should discuss ownership of the account by a revocable trust or will at death. Within the trust or will, the instrument should specify the disposition of cryptocurrency. So should the account be transferred in kind to the beneficiaries or should the assets be sold? Can the trustee or executor hold a concentrated position in cryptocurrency or will the account to default to diversification rules? Careful consideration should also be given to who will serve as executor or trustee. Currently, many institutional trustees have policies against administering trusts with cryptocurrency or require the immediate liquidation of the crypto accounts. So an experienced individual trustee as opposed to a corporate trustee may be required for crypto accounts or all trust assets. So there'll probably be a market evolve if this continues for you have some specialized trustees or custodians that might ultimately specialize as it will be the special trustee for this particular type of asset. Because I can understand a lot of your financial institutions are not going to want to have that responsibility as a trustee. Are there, 
unique considerations that should be taken into account when you make a gift of cryptocurrency? Yeah, so we talked about this briefly. The IRS treats cryptocurrency as property as opposed to currency. So it's important that the basis of cryptocurrency be properly documented. Supporting documentation should be provided to the donee of the gift and also the fair market value of the cryptocurrency on the transfer date. The donor also needs to document fair market value for themselves if a gift tax return is necessary. And just a question that, because I ran into this during the tax season, we review a lot of different types of returns or see a lot of different returns. And this is the first year we've seen a really high volume of the cryptocurrency. But I, I think there are no currently, there currently are no requirements to issue 1099s or K1s. If you have an investment account with, you know, Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs, you're going to get a 1099 showing your dividends, your interest, and your transactions. I don't think we have that yet with cryptocurrency in the tax. Yeah, world. and that's part of what I think we were saying earlier is there's got to be like evolution of all this stuff. You know, the, these are all things that the IRS has got to be looking at and, and will probably at some point issue rules around. That's what I would expect. So cryptocurrency is not formally titled. What does the donor consider in terms of the gift? So it, in terms of fair market value, do you mean on the transfer? Yeah. How do we determine so, that? So it, it is very difficult to determine fair market value for cryptocurrency, believe it or not. If the cryptocurrency listed on an exchange is valued according to market supply and demand, and then convert it into U.S. dollars at the exchange rate, then the cryptocurrency would seem easy to value. But the IRS requires calculation of fair market value, quote, in a manner that is consistently applied. So this differs from stock, for example, on the New York Stock Exchange, because the same cryptocurrency can have different values on different exchanges at the same exact time. So valuation may require an appraisal in some situations. And as you said, because cryptocurrency is not formally titled, the donor should consider executing what's called a gift memorandum contemporaneously with the gift for the records of both the donor and the donee, because these things are not titled in their names. So if possible, it's best to have the donee also execute the memo or at least a receipt for the donor's records. And this memo should detail all of the relevant information, which would include a description of the gift, the type and amount of the cryptocurrency gifted, the date of the transaction, the fair market value of the gift on the transfer date, the donor's basis, and a statement that the donor has actually transferred ownership. In the case of a gift to a charity, then the memo should include language stating that the gift meets charitable deduction requirements. And so, Laura, one of the thoughts that I had as you're talking about that is, Do we have appraisers? And I'm just going to acknowledge, I have not had to um, value crypto yet for a 706 or 709. So are there appraisers specializing in that? So I thankfully have not to deal deal with that either. But, you know, I would assume there are appraisers. It doesn't seem terribly complicated because when you look at the values on different exchanges, they're typically just differing by a few dollars or a few hundred dollars, depending on the type of crypto asset. So I would assume that a lot of these appraisers of more traditional assets will start incorporating incorporating valuation of cryptocurrency into their practice as well. 
Another area of specialty for the appraisers, though, right? That's you got it. A part of the evolution we're discussing that we'll see and talk about on a future episode. Yes. So what what should be considered when gifting to charities using cryptocurrencies? So one suggestion I have is to donate highly appreciated cryptocurrency directly to a charity. The charity will receive full value of the cryptocurrency, and the donor will receive a charitable income tax deduction for the full fair market value. The charity will not be subject to any capital gains tax on the appreciated value, and the donor could donate instead of to a charity, for instance, to a donor advised fund or what's called a DAF, which accepts cryptocurrency to to get that same result. So the charitable gifting is an option and our charities, they're probably not keeping the cryptocurrency. If they receive a gift in cryptocurrency, are you seeing them then cash it? So the, the few that I've been involved in, they do then cash it out. I don't. Th- they, I, I would think charities don't love at this point in time, given the volatility to hold on to crypto assets, which will be another interesting thing to keep an <laughs> eye on in the future. Yes. Well, so, Laura, do you have any last thoughts today? Yes, I would like to mention that crypto accounts and estate planning techniques, as we've talked about throughout, will likely adapt and change very rapidly in the coming months and years. So, a good first step is discussing options with a qualified estate planning attorney. A crypto investor should make sure that he or she discusses strategies appropriate to his or her objectives and create or modify estate planning documents to properly address the transfer and administration of these assets. And finally, I want to thank you again, Mary, for having me. As always, I really enjoyed our conversation. And I really enjoyed having you, Laura. Thanks so much for your contribution on this topic. As we reach the end of our episode, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and The Foster Group. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our future weekly releases. Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have. A Huda Media Production.